But man, listen, I'm so excited to bring this word to you today. I, I'm, I'm really pumped up. I feel like the Lord is going to do a lot of powerful things in our life. And I believe that, you know, when I was going through this, the Lord's just been really speaking to me. So this is going to be one of those words that I'm just going to be blessed by, and then you just happen to be in the room. But um, the title of my message today is The Shepherd of My Soul. Can we say that together? The Shepherd of My Soul. And you probably could have guessed, but we're going to be looking at Psalms chapter 23. Does anybody know Psalms 23? I know that's probably many of your favorite verses, and many of us can quote that by heart. Um, but I want to read it together. Can, well, yeah, let's read it together. Can we read it together? We're going to read the whole thing. Amen? Let's go through it. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Take me back to the first verse there, Sharon, if you don't mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I love this statement that David makes. David declares... That the Lord is the source of everything. You know, so there's something interesting about sheep. You, this is what I believe. If, if people didn't try so hard to protect and raise and, and you know, grow and, and farm sheep, basically, I think that they would be extinct. Because sheep are like the most self, like, they're, they're the most defenseless creature. Has anybody, I mean, do we have any shepherds in the house? No? No one handles sheep a couple? Okay, okay. Charlotte, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> But if you know anything about sheep, they're, they're just, they're, they don't have anything to offer in terms of self-defense. Like they're helpless. This is how helpless they are. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. But sheep can die from flies. Could you imagine getting taken out by a fly? Like what? Are you serious? But they do. Like shepherds have to protect sheep, not just from lions and bears, but from flies. It's crazy. But they're the, they're the most like defenseless animal that, that, that if we didn't protect them and work so hard to keep them alive, they probably wouldn't exist today. And this is what David says. David identifies, because when Jesus says this, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's almost like a backhanded compliment. Because he's saying, I'm the good shepherd, but he's saying that you're a sheep. <laughs> and we think that we're strong and we're competent and we have something to offer, but Jesus says, no, you're a sheep. You wouldn't make it without me. He says, you can't, you can't do it by yourself. If I wasn't your shepherd, a little fly would take you out. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And, and the truth is, is that we like to think that we can have something to offer in this life, that we have some power, we have some intelligence, or we can do this thing by ourselves. But David, David says this, you are, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not my shepherd. Many of us in this room, we like to be our own shepherd. We like to call the shots. We like to make decisions for ourselves. We like to be our protector, our provider. We like to have our trust and, trust and faith in our competence and our abilities rather than the Lord. 
You know, Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, he talks about these type of people and it's referred to as pagan worship. And he says that they traded in the truth of God for what? The lie. It doesn't say a lie, it says the lie. Who worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What, is this, what does this mean? That means this, when we are trying to be the shepherd, we're worshiping ourselves. This is the same lie that the devil told Eve in the garden so many years ago when, she, when he said this, Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you don't need the good shepherd. You can be just like God. And this is the lie that has been perpetuated from that moment all the way until this moment where the devil is trying to get you to play God to get you to worship yourself, to trade in the truth of who God is and set yourself up on the throne. It's humanism. And when you and I try to be the shepherd, that's exactly what we do. And I love when David, David starts off this psalm by punching that lie in the face. He says, I am not the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the idea for today I want you to take away. It's simply this, that the Lord is my source. Can we say that together? The Lord is my source. He is your source of strength. He is your source of wisdom. He is your source of provision. He is everything you need. Second Peter tells us that in you, you have everything pertaining to life and godliness inside of you. Why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. So come on, let's pray as we get into this word today. Holy Spirit, we invite you, and as your word says in Ephesians 1.17, that you would bring in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room. Would you change us by your word today? We ask that you would um, make this moment, Father God, a life-changing moment for us, that we would reserve the place as, of Good Shepherd for you. Help us to take our hands off of the wheel and honor you as the source in our life. Pray that you would bless our time together. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we're going to look at three different sections of this scripture verse. And, I, you know, we could spend hours just going through the whole thing, but we're just going to look at three simple ideas today. Um, and the first part I want to look at is, is actually the second verse. It says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You know, I'm reading through this book. It's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. And I'll probably refer to it often, but what this guy did is he, he was a shepherd in, here in America, and then he moved to Israel and, and was a shepherd there, and then he was a shepherd in Africa. So he has a lot of hands-on, real experience with, with sheep. And so he goes through Psalms 23. If you like this kind of stuff, I would look it up. It's a really fascinating book. But what he does is he looks at the way this is written from the perspective of somebody who is a shepherd, because how many know David was a shepherd? So when he says this stuff, he's not saying this from a perspective of a king or a worship leader or a pastor. He's writing this from the perspective of a shepherd. He says this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Something that's very interesting about sheep is that they are so finicky that it is almost impossible for a shepherd to get sheep to lay down. It's crazy. This shepherd actually describes it by saying this, that all fear all anxiety, all threats have to be removed in order for a sheep to feel comfortable laying down. Remember what we talked about. Sheep are afraid of flies. I'm not kidding. 
This shepherd told stories about how when in the summertime when swarms of flies would come around his sheep, that the whole, you know, the whole herd of sheep would start going into a crazy frenzy and running around because they're terrified of flies. Could you imagine living your life that way? That would be awful. But, but what, what the shepherd is saying is that in order to get sheep to lay down, everything in their life has to be perfect. And here's what David was saying when he says, the Lord makes me to lie down in green pastures. What he was saying is, I have no fear with him. He removes all of my anxiety. He removes all of my stress. He doesn't make my life perfect, but with him, I understand this, that I don't have to be afraid of anything. I can be at perfect peace, even with storms raging on around me, knowing that my good shepherd is in control. And here's the word for you today, church, is that you will not find peace out there. You won't do it. If you're struggling with anxiety, with worry, with fear, you have to understand something. Peace is found in the person of Jesus. The world cannot offer you peace, because, and this is why. Watch, this is so interesting. Right now, in this day and age, we have more anything than ever before. We have more information at our fingertips than we've ever had before. If peace comes by information, you should have more peace now than you did 10 years ago. You know, for many of us, we have more money now than we've ever had before. If peace comes by money, you should be more peaceful now than you were years ago. We have more friendships and relationships. Through our iPhones, we can connect with all 7 billion people on this planet if we wanted to. If relationships bring you peace and joy, you should have more peace now than you've ever had before. But here's the interesting thing. We look at the state of our world today, and we see that anxiety is up. That depression is up. That, that suicide rates are up. People are more anxious now than we've ever been in history. This is crazy to me. Watch this. We are so stressed out that we have developed autoimmune diseases and we literally physically get sick because we're carrying so much stress. If the world had any solution to that issue, we would be more at peace now than we ever, we ever were before. But you can't find peace in the world. You find it in the person of Jesus. Only Jesus can make you to lie down in green pastures. Only Jesus can bring peace. Pastor Kyle shared this word at our, 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 our meeting earlier, and it was so beautiful because the truth is, is we can look for it all day long, but if you don't find peace in Jesus, you won't find it. Can I tell you, you can't even find peace at church? Do you know why? Because I'm not Jesus. The person sitting next to you isn't Jesus. You can come here expecting to find these things, but the truth is, it, it's not found here at church. It's found in your intimate relationship with him. It's found in knowing who Jesus is. I love when he says this. Oh, oh go back. Sorry. One more. He says, I, nope. Other way. Yeah. He leaves me beside the still waters. You know, when I read that part, I was reminded of an of a interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well in Samaria. Remember that story? And Jesus tells her, woman, listen, if you knew who was sitting in front of you, you would ask me for a drink. And then he says something very interesting about the drink that he would give her. He says, if you drink from what I have, then you will never thirst again. And she says, oh man, I, I want some of that water, right? But here's the truth about the peace that Jesus gives us. And this is what I, have to I want you to understand. The peace that comes from Jesus is not a location. The peace that comes from Jesus is not an event. It's not a day on your week. 
it's not like, okay, here, here's what I mean by that. When we look for peace, we anticipate our vacation. Like I just spent some time in Texas and it was an incredibly peaceful, refreshing time in my life. And so we look for these events. We look for these moments where we can obtain peace and say, oh man, I just gotta make it to the weekend and then I'll have a couple of days off work and I'll be able to have some peace. Or, oh man, we're going to, you know, we're going to Disney World in a couple months. I can't wait because then I'm gonna have some peace and relaxation, right? And we, we let peace be these momentary events in our lives where we come in and out of peace and we experience peace for a moment, but then we gotta go back to work on Monday. But the, the peace that Jesus gives you is not a, a fleeting moment, the peace that Jesus gives you will last forever. It's not contingent upon your circumstance. The peace that Jesus will give you is not determined by where you are at or what's going on around you. The peace that Jesus gives you isn't a thing, it's a person, it's him. He says this, unless you eat of my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Unless you understand that I am peace, I don't give peace, you won't experience it. And Christian, you experience the peace of God by connecting with the person of Jesus. You can't have peace without your connection to him every moment of every day. Now, that doesn't mean you have to spend any very moment in prayer or reading your Bible, but what that means is this. You have to understand that the person of Jesus is with you. He walks with you. He's connected to you. And every step you take has to be with him in mind. This is the powerful, powerful truth of what Jesus said to that woman at the well. If you drink of this water, you'll have peace unending. This is why Jesus was able to sleep at the bottom of the boat when the storm was going on around him. It was because his peace wasn't contingent upon his external circumstances. There's too many Christians that, that we are, our peace, our rest, our sanity in life comes from where we're at in life in the moment. It comes from how much money we have in the bank. It comes from our relationships. It comes from our jobs. It comes from our kids. And if those things get out of whack, our peace goes out of the window. But with Jesus, you have to understand something. Your peace is not contingent on this. It's contingent on this. It matters where your heart is connected to. It says he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Need you to understand this, that Jesus is your peace. He's the only thing that can restore your soul. In verse 4, Psalms 23 says this. This is probably the most popular verse in the, in, the, in the scripture, but it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, just a few days ago, we were coming home from Texas, and we were walking in the Dallas airport. Has anybody been to the Dallas airport before? It's big, right? It's huge. It's a little scary to try to navigate by yourself. So we got dropped off in one section of the airport, and then we had to go to the other section, and I felt so bad for Judah. Judah's my three-year-old son, and like any three-year-old boy or girl, he's got little legs. So he was struggling to keep up with us. And I had, I had two bags, one in each hand. Has anybody traveled with kids? Isn't it like the most fun you've ever had in your life? Oh my goodness. If I could do it just for like leisure, I would. It's just so fun. I love it so much. But I have two bags in my hand, a bag on my back. Emily has Jackson strapped to her chest and she has the other two kids in their, in their hand, right? And so we're running through this airport trying to catch our flight and we just, man, they were boarding the last group when we showed up. It was crazy. 
But poor Judah, he was struggling to keep up. And we weren't like walking too fast, but just to keep up with a normal pace at his age, you have to almost be like sprinting, you know, his little legs were moving. And he kept falling behind and he kept veering off to the left and to the right. And you know, I was like, Judah, come on, keep up, keep up, keep up. And then finally what I did is I put both the bags in this hand and I just, all I did, and listen, parents, I know that you might think that I was dragging Judah through the airport. I wasn't, I wasn't dragging him. It was a gentle hand on the back, right? It was gentle. I wasn't, I wasn't fully, <laughs> it's like a roller luggage just dragging him, right? No, but I just gently put my hand on his shoulder. I promise it was gentle. And it seemed like that solved all the problems. Now, I wasn't pushing him. I wasn't pulling him. I just put my hand on him. And when I put my hand on him, he didn't, he didn't veer off to the left. He didn't veer to the right. He didn't fall behind or go forward. He kept pace with us as I just rested my hand right there on him. And from the perspective of a shepherd, this is so interesting. It says this, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the staff was used as shepherds for a lot of different purposes, but it's so, it's so beautiful. What the shepherd says is that oftentimes the shepherd would take his staff, you know, the thing that looks like a candy cane, and he would, he would as they're walking, he would just rest it on his favorite sheep. And he wasn't pushing or pulling. He wasn't beating the sheep with it. He was just making a point of contact. And that sheep that was finicky, running away, veering off to the left or right, found comfort in the touch from their shepherd. This is what this means for us, church. This means this, that no matter where you go in life, you're touched by the shepherd. The shepherd's hand is on you. And I don't know if you're here today and somebody might have lied to you and told you that when you give your heart to Jesus, everything just goes good. Your life is perfect and nothing bad will happen because that's not what the gospel says. We understand that even, even Christians, we go through difficult moments, difficult times, and Jesus doesn't promise to remove those things, but what he does say is, I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm right by your side. You know, I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, if you don't worship me, you're going into the fiery furnace. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't strike King Nebuchadnezzar down. He didn't make it so the furnace wouldn't open or maybe send some indoor rain showers that would quench the fires. He didn't do any of those things. What did Jesus do? He said, all right, guys, if you're going in the fire, I'm coming too. And as King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, he didn't see just one or two or three boys he saw somebody else standing in the midst of the flames. And this is the promise that God is speaking over you right now in this moment. I don't know what you're going through. So many of you might be in the valley of the shadow of death, but what I want to encourage you with today is this, that you're not there by yourself. That your family might have written you off, your friends might have abandoned you, but you're not alone because his staff comforts you. The ever-present hand of the Father makes you understand that I can do this. I can make it through. You know, I used to think that the staff and the rod were just two words for the same thing, but they're actually two different instruments. I learned that the staff, you know, we talked about that, it kind of has the hook, but then the rod was almost used as a defensive weapon. It was a club that these shepherds would carry. And the shepherd in the book said that it was an extension of the shepherd's right hand. It was used to fight off 
any threat that would come to try to hurt the sheep. You know, when David said, you know, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, I, I did all these things. We know David was proficient with the slingshot, but he also carried a rod with him. He also carried a club and he would oftentimes defend the sheep with this club. And how many know this? This is so beautiful that no matter where you find yourself in life, not only do you have a comforter, but you have a protector. You have a defender, somebody that won't allow the enemy to steal you from his hand. I love, I love how David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in that valley of the shadow of death. Find ourselves in difficult places and Man, when I was preparing this and and working through this this week, my heart just began to break because I know that so many of you in here have come into this room, you've put a bright white smile on your face, you're wearing your Sunday best, but inside, you're, you're, you're walking through the valley. I know that in life right now, you're walking through the valley, that it's not easy, that it's hard, that it's difficult, that no one might know it, you never show it or share it with anyone, but you're falling apart. And the promise to you today is not that Jesus is just going to fix all the problems and make everything better. The promise is that he's with you. The promise is that he will comfort you. But this is also the promise. He is your defender. That his rod is coming for your defense. That oftentimes we think that we have to fight our own battles. That we have to defend ourselves. That we have to make things work out for ourselves. But listen, I've tried in recent times to be really good at not trying to defend myself. I'm letting the Lord defend me. I'm letting him fight my battles. You know, when somebody wrongs me, when somebody says something that hurts or or somebody does something that offends me, you know, we're really quick to lash out or we're really quick to try to defend ourselves or fight for ourselves. But what I've been trying to learn recently, and I say trying because I'm not very good at it yet, is when somebody hurts me, to step back and say, okay, Jesus, you are my defender. You are, you are my defender. I don't, have to, I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not their approval, not their good words or their bad words. Those things don't comfort me. It's the rod and the staff of the Lord that brings me peace and comfort. I need you to know this today, church, that he is your protector and your comforter. Here's what this says in verse five, chapter, Psalms chapter 23. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup runs over now this is interesting to me because I think we have a very religious romanticized view of what it looks like to anoint your head with oil you know when immediately I think of of when Samuel anointed David right remember that story it's this big dramatic moment Samuel's like not you not you not you not you and he finally finds David and he anoints his head with oil or you think of Moses anointing Aaron and it flows down his beard onto the onto the ephod onto the robe onto everything on the garments he was wearing but this wasn't as religious as we think it is when the shepherd says you've anointed my head with oil it means something very different Remember I told you that these sheep have some difficulties with flies. They're their number one enemies. 
It's true. Oftentimes in the summertime, what would happen is these flies, and excuse me, I know this is a little graphic, but I need you to understand how ridiculous this is. The flies would go to the, the sheep's nose because it's moist there. They're called nose flies. And they would lay their larva eggs inside of the nose. I know it's terrible. But what it would lead to, <laughs> I just wanted to see everybody grimace, but <laughs> this has nothing to do with the message. I'm just kidding. But what it leads to, it leads to terrible infections for these sheep. And oftentimes what the shepherd says is these sheep, they would kill themselves because they're banging their head against rocks or trees and trying to get some relief from their tormentors. And oftentimes, like I'm, I'm not joking, it's detrimental to these sheep. These flies take down sheep. And, and also what happens sometimes is that sheep, when, when they're, you know, navigating life and going through whatever, they'll find themselves getting trapped and getting, um, getting caught up in bushes and brambles and different things like that in their head. And so what these shepherds would do is, to combat those two things is they would pour oil on the head of these sheep so that, that the, these, these flies and these parasites would be deterred by the oil. And also, so that when these sheep would get caught in like the bushes and brambles, because they have oil on their head, it, the, the snares wouldn't catch them. They were able to get out. They were able to be released from the trap because they were anointed. And I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest with you, okay? Because I've done this church thing my whole life. I understand church. I know it inwards, backwards, up and down. And I've heard that you are so anointed, and oh man, that worship leader's anointed, and this person's anointed, and this person's that. And I've always had a hard time understanding why or what anointing is and does in my life. Because here's the issue I have with it. If I am only anointed to give you goosebumps when I preach, I don't want to be anointed. If that's the extent of the anointing, Pastor Tossie, you can keep it. I don't want it. If, if the anointing is here so that our Christian club, we would clap and cheer and be like, ooh, Pastor Dom's anointed, or when Pastor Dion sings and strums his guitar and it's like, oh, he's anointed. Like, is that it? He's just good at music? Because if that's it, I don't want any part of the anointing. But this is what I've learned about the anointing of God, that it's not for, the, the anointing of God is more for me than it is for you. I am anointed, not so that you could feel good goosebumps, but so that the enemy's grip on my life would have no hold. I'm anointed so I would overcome the attacks of the enemy. The anointing on your life differentiates you between everyone else in this world so that your coworkers look at you and say, hey, why does depression not stick to you the way it sticks to me? You say, I'm anointed. Doesn't, it doesn't have a grip on me. Hey, why, why is poverty not holding on to you? We have the same job. I'm anointed. How are you waking up so healthy when everybody else is sick? How are you not sick? I'm anointed. And the anointing of God isn't for me to give you goosebumps. The anointing of God is to be a chain breaker in my life. It is to throw off the attacks of the enemy and set free everyone connected to me. This is what the anointing does. This is what Jesus says, and Jesus quotes Isaiah in Luke chapter four. Go ahead, put that up. It says, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because what? He has, everyone say it. 
anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You are anointed to set people free. That's why you carry the anointing. It's not to impress your Christian friends. It's not, to, it's not to show people how good you preach or how good you sing or how good you pray or minister. That's what, man, you can keep the anointing if that's what it's for. I want to be anointed so I see people in my family healed. I want to be anointed so I see people around me set free so chains fall off. That's what the anointing of God is for. And I love it because he says he anoints your head with oil in the presence of your enemies. In the middle of your enemies, he pours the oil on your head so you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be afraid of what the enemy is trying to bring against you. You're anointed. You're anointed. Those chains have been broken on your life. You're the healed of the Lord. And I know there's some people in here struggling and fighting for their healing, struggling and fighting for, for these chains and these things to break off. And listen, I want to contend with you today. And I want to believe that you don't have to struggle, you don't have to strive, you don't have to work for it. You have to receive the anointing of the Lord. And say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, everybody put your hands out like this right now in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been anointed by you. That the anointing breaks the chains, it breaks yokes, it sets captives free. So as the good shepherd, would you anoint your people right now? Would you anoint our heads with oil? In the presence of our enemies, would you set us free? We love you, Jesus. We bless your name. You know, Miss Amanda, just a few moments ago, she walked me out to her car and she showed me the left side of her car and it was completely tore up from the front to the back. She told me, began to give me this testimony how the other day she was driving on the freeway and and she was in the right lane and the semi-truck was in the middle lane and the semi-truck didn't see her and hit the side of her car. It didn't just hit her once, it hit her twice. Boom, veered her off the side of the road. And she said she didn't know what happened, but she just kind of started coming back onto the road. And then the semi-truck hit her again, veered her off the road. And those angels pushed her right back on the road. And I don't know if y'all know or have seen a semi recently. She was driving a Toyota Camry, I think. And she's here today with us, testifying of the goodness of the Lord. Not a scratch on her body. She said, I didn't have whiplash. I don't have nothing's wrong. Why? Any other person doesn't walk away from that accident, but you're anointed. You've been anointed by God. So, so what affects other people doesn't have the same grip that it has on you. And that's the testimony that we embrace as Christians. See, our anointing is here so that we would experience freedom, that we would experience the power of God in our life, that we would experience the oppressed freed around us. And the anointing is not just exclusively for you. Man, I believe that you're anointed for your friends, for your family, for those around you, that you've been anointed just as Jesus has to preach the good news, to give sight to the blind, 
to raise the dead, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's what anointed, that's what anointing means. That's what it means to be the anointed of the Lord. And finally, I'll close with this scripture verse. It says this in Psalms chapter 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. This is what I want us to understand. If goodness and mercy are meant to follow you, you don't get it by following it. One of the most difficult challenges for a shepherd is when his sheep run away. Because the shepherd then has to leave all the other flock and go find the sheep to bring it back to the herd. There's so many Christians that their life is consumed with looking for goodness and mercy. We're looking for the promises of God. We're looking for the blessing. We're looking for what God can do in our life as if he was a genie or a vending machine. We're chasing after what he has to offer us and we're running away. And we wonder why we never find it. We wonder why we've been praying for it and seeking for it. And we, man, why can't I find goodness and mercy? Well, it's because you're looking for goodness and mercy. But if you understand what David understood in this moment, he says, listen, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I don't have to look for it. This is what I have to do. This is the one thing I have to do is follow him. Because here's the truth about sheep. When they follow their shepherd, their shepherd leads them to green pastures. When sheep follow their shepherd, the shepherd leads them beside still waters. When sheep are really good at following the one thing in their life, that one person takes care of all of their needs. And so David understood this to be true. Man, when sheep, when my sheep follow me, I'm a good shepherd. I lead them into good things. And if I'm a good shepherd, how much more is the Father in heaven going to take care of those things in your life? I love what Jesus says. He says, man, how hard do the lilies work that are in the field? Do they toil and create their clothes and do all of this beautiful stuff? He says, no, they don't do any of that. But the Father raised them in such beauty, not even Solomon himself was dressed as it. He says, man, how often do the the birds of the air harvest and plant and toil over their food. They don't because their Father in heaven takes care of them. What does Jesus say? If Man, if my eye is on the sparrow, if I'm taking watch and taking care of the things of this world, how much more will I take care of you? How little do you have to worry? Before you even open your mouth, your Father knows exactly what kind of goodness and mercy you need in that moment. I want to encourage you, Christian, you don't have to look for it. What you have to do is look for him. And when you follow him, when you follow your good shepherd, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. You don't have to toil. You don't have to work for it. The one thing that you have to do is dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So church, stand with me as we follow him today. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to say this idea with me one more time. The Lord is my source. Well, let's say it again. The Lord is my source. 
Jesus, we thank you today that we don't have to try to find nourishment for our soul anywhere else. That many of us here have tried to find peace in our friendships, in our job, in our relationships, in money, in our health. We've looked for peace in every area that the world has to offer it. And we found it fleeting. We found it coming and going. And we found and grasped hold of these moments of peace. But Jesus, we ask that you would give us true peace. Would you come close to our heart in this moment and give us the peace of God that surpasses our understanding. That's not a location, it's not an event, it's not a moment, but it's a lifetime with the Prince of Peace. Jesus, would you be our comforter, our protector? With your rod and your staff, would they fight for us? Would they comfort us? Would they be there with us? So that we know we are never alone, no matter where we go, no matter what we experience or where we find ourselves, we know that you are with me. And finally, Jesus, I thank you for the anointing. Come on, just thank him for it, church. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you, Jesus, that it wasn't enough for you just to die on the cross and to take us to heaven one day, but you came to bring us life and life more abundantly. And we thank you, Jesus, that we are anointed not to give each other goosebumps with our talent, but we are anointed to break the yoke of bondage over our life and over the lives of those who are close to us. I declare right now that the anointing is breaking sickness right now in the name of Jesus. The anointing is breaking generational curses and, and attacks of the enemy and lies of the enemy. The anointing is breaking off poverty right now in the name of Jesus. The anointing is setting those who have been captive by addiction and setting them free in this moment. We thank you for your anointing, Jesus. In your name I pray. When everybody said. I want to ask you a couple questions before you leave today. You might be here and you've, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never asked him into your heart or, or maybe you've grown distant from him and, and you hear all of these things and you're like, man, I want to be anointed. I want, I, want to be, I want to have peace. I want to have protection and comfort and all of these wonderful things. And the good news is, is that you can ask everybody in this room, none of us bought or did anything to earn this gift of salvation. It's a free gift. Not only is it a free gift, but it's a gift that Jesus wants you to have today. He wants to give it to you. And the only requirement, the only thing that you and I have to do is follow him. We've got to get really good at following him. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want goodness and mercy to follow me. I, I want to experience what Jesus has for me in my life. I want him to be the shepherd of my soul too. He can. And if everybody could close your eyes, bow your head, I want to ask you this question. If you're here today and you say, you know what, that's me. I, I, I want to give my life to the good shepherd. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to pray and then I'm going to give you some more instruction. But if that's you in this room and you say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. You've never made that decision before. Or maybe you have and you've walked away. 
If that's you on the count of three, one, two, three. Let me see those hands. Let's see. I see that. That's beautiful. It's awesome. It's awesome. Want anybody else in the room? Raise your hand if that's you. It's awesome. Come on, church family. Let's all do this together. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you lead me and guide me? And show me Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or maybe you came back to Jesus, this is the beautiful thing, that you've entered the door. Amen, amen, that's awesome. You've entered the door and now... Your job, my job, is to follow the good shepherd. So what that means is every day get in your word. Every day spend time with him. Every day fellowship with him and discover who he is. Because here's the truth. You can't love what you don't know. And if you truly want to give your life to Jesus and love him well, you have to know him well. I'm going to ask my altar ministers to come forward too. And I'll end with this final question. But if you're here today and you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe unlike David, you can't say that you've feared no evil. Maybe you've had some fear, some anxiety, some worry. You've been struggling in your life. This is the beautiful part about who we are here at CNC is that we don't do life alone. We hold each other up. We pray for each other. We lift up one another when that person is weary. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I believe that it's the anointing that gives rest, the anointing that breaks yokes, the anointing that frees the oppressed. And if you find yourself oppressed here today, I believe if you come and pray for us, you're not gonna leave the same way. You're gonna leave changed in the name of Jesus. Amen, anybody believe that? Amen. So I wanna invite you, if you need anything at all, please come this way before you go that way. Remember, above all, follow the good shepherd. He's going to lead you into good stuff. Follow him. Remember, he is, the Lord is your source. Hey, everybody, I love you all. Remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard, and make sure you get your chili out there. Make sure you come this way before you go that way. I can't wait to see you all next time.